Hey everybody, welcome. How are you? Hey, here it is, an end of another work week, and I hope yours was fantastic and that you maybe have something prepared for the weekend. Hey, this particular week, we are talking about privacy. Privacy from a landscape perspective. And you know something? Unless you're, uh, unless you're blessed with a, a lot of acres, you know, like a 20-acre <clears throat> woodlot with uh, your home site carved out in the middle and forests surrounding you, chances are you probably have or need some form of privacy that screens out prying eyes and allow you to enjoy your property more without one, two, three, or I can share a story with you, five prying eyes of neighbors having access visually to your activities and daily life in uh, the backyard, either with the naked eye or binoculars. We're talking landscape privacy this week, the, the needs, the wants, the types, and maybe some solutions for you. Man, I am just stoked that you're here joining me this week. So, uh, you know something? Let's rock this thing, shall we? Hey, if you like what you hear in this podcast and over on uh, the YouTube channel or some of my other episodes, you know, maybe consider subscribing. You know, and following along or commenting, it would sure help the the podcast immensely. And you know something? I thank you in advance. Hey, I'm Matt, and you can call me coach. Every week, I bring you DIY landscape education, design concepts and theories in an easy-to-understand format so you can tackle projects yourself, get the professional results you want, be more self-reliant in this day and age, and oh my gosh, save a whole lot of money in the process. You know, after a 20-plus year career in the green industry, as a successful self-employed landscape designer, contractor, retail nursery manager, and educated in ornamental horticulture, Culture. You know, I bring with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I want to share and impart with you, the modern, self-educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. So for most of us, myself included on many, many occasions, we have uh, suburbia properties or maybe even urban properties that have various lot sizes, houses, and many have some to little or no privacy in the front or backyard. What I've seen here in the U.S. on some travels, eh, I'm not going to put things in a box in any way, shape, or form, but uh, I noticed there's a lot more privacy screening as uh, the norm in the western part of the U.S. as opposed to the Midwest or back east. Back east, not nearly as much, either by design or culture or just the way things have always been type of thing. I see some larger properties and they have vast, vast, vast lawn areas. But because of the size of the properties, maybe it's kind of cost prohibitive to privacy off these backyards and try to screen them off. I mean, I see these wide open lots with tens, and I'm seriously, tens of thousands of square feet of lawn area and no fences, no greenscape. And from the highway, you can, you can literally peer right into the back of people's yards, and in some cases, even into their back family room windows and stuff. I don't know, just different for me. Different for me compared to the West Coast where you know everybody is <laughs> locked down and, 
and screened off from their neighbors on their little 60 by 100 foot lot type of thing. So what is your situation like? You know, do you need some privacy? You want some privacy? And if so, you know, what kind of options have you explored? Well, for today, let's take a look at a few of the options. Some of you may know them, some of you may not. Materials used for privacy and security screening can range from masonry, wood, metal, or even uh, greenscape. Does any of that sound familiar? Well, I'd like to take a few minutes and break it down even a little further than that. Let's look at probably the most costly one first, the one that uh, not a lot of people have. And from a DIY perspective, you would have to gain some skill set here before launching on something like one of these guys. This is basically the masonry wall, the masonry privacy wall. Predominantly, I've seen these uh, in a simplistic fashion, probably more in the US's Southwest portion of the country. But also, and when I say Southwest, I'm talking more of a block wall with a stucco veneer on it type of thing. So it has more of that Southwest feel. But historically, there is uh, a lot of masonry walls back East and also in Europe and around the world. As a matter of fact, in some places, those walls and those privacy or property delineations have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, once created, they're gonna stand until their bonding disintegrates and they either crumble or uh, they're knocked down one or the other. What a solid and profound way to create privacy of a six foot or eight foot or even higher type of wall or privacy screen than solid rock. My God, I mean, talk about an eternal type of material and then you build it by mortaring them together. So what deteriorates over decades or uh, eons is the actual mortar itself and what it's exposed to as far as temperatures and, and elements, etc. But the rock, it basically never goes away. It's there for millennia, seriously. There are places in Europe, you know, where walls and other things have been surrounding castles and moats for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's amazing. So with the use of natural stone, both a local source, or if you got the bucks, you can bring whatever you want in from wherever you want to get it. Mortar together in a, in a fashion very similar to some type of greenscape hedges where you have a more narrow top and a wider base for stability. And anything, usually anything in the United States, I don't know what some codes are in other parts of the world, but Usually anything over four feet, even if it's just a privacy wall, is probably gonna need permits. Certainly something six feet or higher will probably require a permit of some kind and some kind of a drawing submitted to some authority, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, good Lord, we've got walls that have stood in Europe for hundreds of years. I bet you there weren't permits pulled back then. Am I right? Anyway, the other types is uh, the standard cinder block type of wall. The old footing that is, that is uh, put in place, maybe 12 inches or 16 inches wide, and then uh, rebar and other strengthening materials are used, and then the the cinder block wall is raised to whatever height it's going to be. And then it has, uh, especially for residential applications and ornamental applications, then you have uh, 
a stucco, a, maybe a colored stucco veneer that is put on it in either a, a flat finish or a, a swirled masonry finish that makes it kind of unique. The most common and classic examples of this, minus the stucco, are a lot of the sound walls that you see that are created around uh, freeways and big city boulevards, etc., where sound walls are created to dampen the, the noise of those lucky folks that are living right on the other side of that wall. So the other and third one that I thought about is the, you don't see them that often because they're so damn cost prohibitive, but uh, the solid and very expensive concrete wall, literally, you know, a concrete wall formed up with eight foot panels and keyed into a rather large key foundation, then finished with various stains and colors, or maybe even stucco again, but most of the time they're always stained. Very, very costly, but man, Holy cow. Many of the results of these professionally completed walls are really architectural masterpieces. They really are, and in some cases, you know, just works of art. They're just gorgeous. They really have a lot of professional stamp put on them. So from a DIY perspective, unless you're in the masonry industry and you got that skill set already, it might be a little challenging. It uh, doesn't mean you couldn't do it. It just means you've, you've got a little bit of a learning curve to, to put it together. All right, moving on. Let's look at another one, probably the most common one used. Uh, not so much back east, but uh, certainly out west, and that's the wood fence. You know, the wood privacy fence, the standard six-foot-tall dog-eared redwood or cedar fencing. Another privacy material that's uh, been around for a long time. You know, created from the standard uh, usual 4x4 four four posts with stringer boards and face boards. They can be rather bland and boring to look at. Uh, they're really kind of just a standard privacy wall but just created from wood. You can elaborate on them and you can make them fancier depending on the style of fence board arrangement, uh, maybe uh, a higher fence with an arbor over the top of the face boards, fancy gate options, the way the face boards are arranged so you have something a little different rather than this, the stacked one by eight dog-eared fence board. Uh, you can make them rather fancy. The biggest fancy comes from how they're finished. You know, they're not always just naturally aged. Sometimes people put color to them and other stuff. Most privacy fences are uh, six feet tall, but I have built them myself seven feet tall, usually only in the backyards of homes where codes allowed. And then seven foot tall would allow it from the back of the property and then the back sides of the property out to the front of the house and then codes always dictated that it dropped down usually to four feet and they called it a neighbor fence by that point. So before you guys start out on any sort of a fencing project, whether it be, you know, wood or masonry or any other project, make sure you kind of check with your local city or county and make sure there isn't a, a permit or something that has to be approved before it goes up. For the most part, six foot fence, you probably don't, but anything fancy or anything above six feet, you probably will. You know, although wood products have literally skyrocketed and gone through the roof, cost-wise over the past year. Thank you very much, you freaking virus. You know, I'm not in total agreement why everything had to go so skyrocketing. Wood is still the most used privacy screen in this day and age. But you can probably guess 
the drawback, and that is that all wood fencing has a shelf life, and it's usually it's usually a 10 to 15 year type of shelf life, depending how its installation was done. You know, uh, life shortening things like wood rot, termites, wind, etc., can really wreak havoc on fences, wood fences over the years. You know, and I, on average, you're looking at a decade, maybe a decade and a half, and then uh, posts and other things start to deteriorate, either from wood damaging organisms or the soil itself. There's, an, there's an, a number of reasons. Even if you pressure treat it, even if you pressure treat it and treat it before you sink it into that hole and concrete it in, you're looking at about 10 to 15 years. So what are some ways that you can extend the life of it? The way I've looked at it is keep the wood out and above the ground. That's the easiest way I have ever seen that really extends the life of a good wood fence. For instance, instead of digging a hole into the dirt, putting that four by four by eight foot post in the dirt and then concreting in, do the hole, do the concrete, but have a little two by four uh, form right at the top of the hole and when you pour that then you shimmy a 4x4 strap anchor in and then once it's all hardened off then you put your post on the strap anchor and bolt it in place. So instead of the post down in the dirt in concrete it is now up above the dirt and is strapped by metal and that can oftentimes extend the life of that post for 10 to 15 additional years without too much problem, depending on what type of wood you're using. It's just a lack of soil to wood contact. That's the easiest way to do it. Then when you're talking about your stringer boards, the, the rail boards that go on uh, the fence, don't use a wood to wood type of connector. You know, you don't toenail the toenail or screw the, the boards in from one post to another. Use a metallic connector and then you screw the, the wood to the metal and it'll, it'll last you a lot longer. And then if you want to go into metal posts and metal fixtures with wood, then you're even talking a longer life longevity. Finally, I always suggest going in every two to three years and pressure wash your fence. Pressure wash all the algaes and molds and mildews that tend to accumulate on the fence and go back in and put on a, a wood sealer like a Thompson's or something like that and keep it fresh and keep it new against the elements that it sits there 24 7 365 serving you for a privacy screen. Okay moving on to an, another material that you can use and that's metal. Metal privacy screens and fencing. A popular one where I worked was the, the metal post with a vinyl coated chain link type of fencing. In, usually in black but sometimes in green but 90% of the time it was usually in black. People would put in these fences or companies would put in these fences for folks and then although it doesn't really serve as a visual deterrent, it really served as a privacy deterrent from animals and, and other stuff with the chain link mesh that was there. Then people would use Greenscape, which I'll talk about in a minute, to do the visual privacy part in front of or behind the fence, depending on where they put it on the property. Although great in theory, I also saw people would use the chain link and then plant vines in front of the fence and allow the vine to travel up onto and into the chain link and that would become the visual deterrent 
and the privacy, the visual privacy aspect of the fence itself. And I've got a couple of thoughts on that. My main thought though is I didn't like what some people used as far as the vine. They used star jasmine, they used uh, Virginia creeper, they used wisteria, and when these particular plants reached maturity, it did two things to the fence. It created a tremendous, tremendous amount of weight on the, the fence and the structure itself. And you could see on some really mature chain link fencing, actual sagging that went on because you're talking hundreds if not thousands of pounds depending on how much footage is involved in this. And then if something failed, then there was no way that you could go in and intricately cut out that vine and then redo the fence. There were, it was too entwined. You would literally have to throw the whole thing away and start over. So vines in this case is an option, but make a knowledgeable decision now that I've told you what I told you. For the most part, with this particular kind of vinyl coated chain link, when I designed the fences and I designed landscapes, I always went with the, the black vinyl coated fence, but I, my privacy part, the visual deterrent, was always greenscape. And we're gonna cover that here in just a minute. Other metallic options are wrought iron. The old standard wrought iron, real wrought iron, or faux wrought iron with aluminum nowadays. Uh, you can use that as well. It can be as standard or as ornate as your checkbook allows. You can have custom ironworks that can put fences together for you that are <laughs> a couple hundred dollars a foot if you can believe that, or more, depending on how fancy you get. I will say this, if you do go down that uh, wrought iron road, you should have it as a overall theme, and it should blend with other elements in both your house architecture and your landscape architecture. Gates, lighting fixtures, uh, front doors, mailboxes, everything should be somewhat cohesive. You don't want to have a lot of different when it comes to that kind of fencing and privacy, etc. And again, wrought iron, as a rule, will not give you visual privacy. It will give you a lot of security on your property. The visual part will have to come from another element. You have probably seen some of these fancy fencing used in conjunction with the other elements already mentioned. Like, oh, like a three foot wrought iron security spiked fence on top and embedded into the top of a masonry type of wall. Or you can have treated and stained wood filler boards with a black or green type of metal framing with a security top, either spiked or whatever, but some type of ornateness that goes with wood and metal or with masonry and metal. Finally, we're talking about greenscape. Greenscape privacy screens and hedges. Although this, this style of fencing, if you would, or privacy screening, if you would, this particular style doesn't lend anything or almost nothing to security aspect of the property. People can walk through certain hedges without any problem. People can hide in certain hedges without any problem. But it is 
the most natural, and involves mostly rural properties as a whole, obviously. If you're in a suburbia and you're on your 65 by 100 foot lot, chances are Greenscape will be layered. It'll be enough for you to be able to go outside and enjoy your backyard and your family outdoor living areas without prying eyes from other places. That's the easiest way I can put it. You have to be very patient because you're dealing with a living plant that has to grow and be able to take years to eventually serve the purpose that you had in mind unless you go and buy big. And when I say big, maybe you start out with eight foot bald and burlapped arborvitae or hollies and you have them professionally installed with uh, large bobcats and augers and that kind of stuff that can be done you can even do it yourself if you go out there and get that skill all it takes is a big auger and a machine and have those things delivered you can put those things in yourself one of the things about privacy screens when it comes to living is are you going to have formal or are you gonna have a natural type of screening? And when I say formal, this is something that is gonna be hedged and clipped into literally a green wall, or it's, it's, opposing, its opposing brother is the natural screen, one that is grown naturally, but requires a little more depth of bed, planting bed, in order to accomplish. You need it to grow tall in the back, a little bit less tall in the middle, and then something you know shorter in the front of the bed so that you have a staggered tiered layered visual screen that is not only serving its purpose as far as a privacy screen but also something that looks beautiful from your side of the property looking out so you have a nice tiered look to it very very nice greenscape ornamental finish for sure some of the some of the plant material that i think about right off the top would be like american pillar arborvitae some of the larger hollies that are out there uh, you can have in some of the more temperate areas like u pine taxis even spruces and other types of uh conifer and evergreens that can be used. Uh, you just have to know how much room you have and how much you're going to dedicate to it in your landscape because some of those guys do get pretty big. When you're coming to putting in that greenscape, spacing is going to be paramount. Know the mature size of the plant and how you're going to space it in order to accomplish that visual deterrent and that greenscape wall that you're looking to create. If you have a American pillar arborvitae and you know it's going to go at its peak maybe four feet wide then you're going to want to plant them three feet apart so that you have them touching or if you want to go where it's going to be staggered and layered then you're going to want to put them four feet apart and then put one and stagger them back and forth so you have that layered look that nobody will be able to see through. In this day and age, uh, I think that many privacy solutions are reached by a combination of more than one material. But also consider cutting edge ideas, like maybe you're, you have an open backyard, but you want your patio and area to be kind of secluded and free from prying eyes. So maybe you're gonna put up a, a shade arbor or you're gonna put up shade sails or something. So if you're in a hilly area and you got neighbors up above you that are elevated above your property, maybe that shade sail or those arbors will prevent the visual 
intrusion that can sometimes come from those, those types of properties. Always consider property security when broaching the subject of privacy. Don't create places of dark pockets that have public access where you know dangerous strangers can lurk undetected and can have prying eyes at times of day or night. It just doesn't make you feel secure. And knowing some of that subject the way I do, you don't wanna create those dark places where people can get in and work on windows and or sit in there undetected for minutes or hours while somebody is in the restroom or preparing for bed, etc. You see where I'm going with that. So consider that. And the way you can counter that a little bit is through landscape lighting, placement and spacing, floodlights, etc. where you, you can be within the confines of your light at home and you're not having to worry about that dangerous stranger lurking out in the hedgerows. You know, many of us, there are some of us out there that do have it, but many of us do not. We don't have that luxury of a gated security down at the end of the driveway where we have an armed guard that guards our property, and guards our our well-being. It's just not something that a lot of us, maybe some of the one percenters do, but uh, I know I never have. So I always had to choose what kind of privacy screens and what I was going to do to make sure that myself and my family were always kind of safe from those prying eyes. And I suggest you do that too. So plan the project out and think of a complete project and the needs for you, not only now, but what about 5, 10, 15, and 20 years from now? What, what are the needs going to be? Privacy is important. You know, it's important to your security and your peace of mind. Plus, it's also nice uh, finishing off and defining your property. To what extent you develop your privacy element is up to you. It's up to you, your skill set, and your budget. Is this something that you can do yourself, or do you need some help brought in to actually complete it? Using a combination of materials can really enhance the aesthetics of not only your visual aesthetics, but also your property value. In some cases, especially where pools are involved, fences of one kind or another are mandated by local codes, along with self-closing gates, etc. So consider that when you're starting a fencing project. So, do you have struggles with privacy and security with your landscape? Drop me a comment or email me a concern and let me know. Maybe we can render some solutions together with you. Maybe if you have stayed with me this far into the podcast, consider subscribing and learning more about landscape concepts and education. Be a part of my Yard Coach crew by getting the weekly newsletter, and you can always, always find that email listed here and on the YouTube channel. Well, guys, there you go. A little look at privacy in the landscape. Hey, until next week, I'm Matt, and you can call me Coach. I really appreciate you listening, and I want you to take care. And if you have any landscape questions, please, you can reach out anytime. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yard Coach. Check out the original videos on YouTube at Yard Coach or email Coach Matt at youryardcoach at gmail.com. And hey, did you get your free 15-step landscaping project checklist? Check out the podcast description below for the link to your free PDF as well as the YouTube channel for more great information for the DIYer in you. See you next week.